We're going to look at verses 4 through 8 of chapter 22 today as we begin the final countdown, as it were. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time in your word today. We ask you to bless this study in your word. We thank you for the wisdom, the insight, the discernment, the understanding that you give us by and through your Holy Spirit. We ask you to bless this time of Bible study now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read those verses, 4 through 8. And we're now, of course, as you know, in the New Jerusalem. We're learning all about it. The next thing we learn is, they shall see his, and we are part of they, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp or light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. First-hand eyewitness account. Doesn't get any better than that. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Now in verses 1 through 3 last week, we saw this perfect world that God is preparing for us to live in for all eternity. The water of life, the tree of life, the leaves for the healing of the nations and so forth, the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now we find out we get to see God himself face to face. So they shall see his face. Folks, this is the blessed hope of the believer to see God face to face. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 for now we see in a mirror dimly, and back in those days, have you ever seen an antique mirror? They're kind of blackish, have you noticed that? They're not all that clear. The materials that they used to make mirrors like 100 years ago, if you've ever been in an antique shop, the mirrors are not real vivid and bright. They're kind of dark. And so when Paul says now we see you know, in a mirror dimly, you understand what he's talking about. But then face to face, then... When that which is perfect has come, Jesus Christ, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. The first phase of that is when we rule and reign with Christ during his millennial kingdom here on earth, but it's not until we reach eternity in the new Jerusalem that we will see the Father as well. This is something no human being has ever been allowed to do, not even Moses. Exodus 33:20, Moses went up on Mount Sinai to meet with God he was able to see the backside of God as he was passing by but God says to him you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live we will already have been looking at Jesus face to face for a thousand years during the millennium the only thing we'll not have yet seen is the face of the father but I believe at this point here as we enter into eternity in the new Jerusalem, we will see God the Father for the very first time and then for all eternity. John 6:46, Jesus says, No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, speaking of himself. Only he has seen the Father. And so that's going to remain true all the way through the tribulation, the millennium, until we finally enter into eternity in the New Jerusalem, and then we will be able to see the Father face to face. 
1 Timothy 6, 12 through 16, Paul writes to Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. How many of you know that it is a fight? I think some people kind of get thrown off because they don't realize that when you accept Christ, yes, we are set free from our sins. How many of you experience that lightness that comes when you confess your sins to God and you invite Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior? Did you feel a big weight lifted off? And that's wonderful. But actually, in this life, as human beings, when you accept Christ, that's the beginning of the fight. We have to fight for the rest of our lives against the world, the flesh, the devil, to hold on to that faith once for all delivered to the saints, to endure to the end. He who endures to the end will be saved. And some, I'll go beyond saying some, I think a lot of believers don't understand this. They get caught off guard and they get thrown out of whack by not realizing that the Christian life is a fight. They think once they get saved, it's peaches and cream, baby. It's tiptoe through the tulips with Tiny Tim. For those of you who remember Tiny Tim, if you do, you're old like me. If you're not old like me and you don't remember Tiny Tim, look him up on Google. He's a crack up. Okay, fight the good fight of the faith. Paul writes to Timothy, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of it. So we have a part to play in all this. Jesus did the heavy lifting. I say that over and over again. He did the hard part. He suffered and died on the cross for our sins. But then he also told us, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So there's that inference there from Jesus. If you decide to follow him, you will have a cross to bear. And more than anything else, it's the cross of rejection. That's, that was the cross of Christ. If he hadn't have been rejected, he wouldn't have been crucified. He came to his own, his own received him not. And there's a price to be paid for following Christ. Family, friends, neighbors, people will turn on you, turn away from you, reject you if you really have a very blatant and obvious love and faith in Jesus Christ. They don't like it. They'll either come to Christ or they'll reject Him and you as well. In the sight of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. Again, God has given us information in his word. He said that as believers, we would be able to, to discern the seasons, the signs of the times. And I think in that regard, it's very obvious that the return of Christ is very close. But only God knows the exact time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal. So how do we become immortal? By becoming attached to the, the immortal one. We talked about this last week. The river of life, uh, the leaves on the tree of life, and how God has provided that which is needed to sustain our immortal life but for eternity we will always be reminded that our immortality is linked to the one who is immortal 
who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. And so, the reason we will not get to see God the Father face to face until we enter into eternity in the new Jerusalem, during the millennium, remember, when we come back with Christ at the end of the tribulation, there will still be a remnant of people left alive upon the earth, although the majority of the earth's population will be wiped out. Does that sound familiar? That's what all the globalists, the transhumanists, are working on. They have publicly, openly, honestly admitted that their goal is to depopulate the earth. If you don't know that, wake up, folks. How many times do you hear throughout the week, perhaps every day, that the biggest blight on planet earth is the human race? But yet, that, that's blasphemous. Do you know that? That's not just wrong. That's not just... E it's blasphemous. We are the crown of God's creation. So doesn't it make sense that the devil is going to work through wicked, evil, unregenerate human beings to teach the whole world and our young people in particular in these vile, slimy, garbage-ridden public schools that we, the human race, are the scourge of the planet? That's what they're teaching our kids right now. To hate themselves. Especially if you're lacking in pigment. We're the worst of the worst. I love all people of all ethnicities. We're all created in God's image. But let me tell you what, folks. This is all about turning us on each other. This is all about destroying the world, destroying the human race. We're a few billionaires, elitists, technocrats, scientists control everything. Elon Musk is already talking about downloading the essence of who you are, your personality and so forth into a robot. Science fiction? No. Reality. Transhumanism. We're bad, we're evil, we're defective and we need to be replaced. Gee, I wonder where those ideas all came from. The thief who comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The devil himself. Absolutely. Absolutely. But he's in for a big awakening and a big surprise. And so are all those who follow him. So to finish my point, when Jesus comes back and we come back with him at the end of the tribulation, there will be mortal human beings alive on the earth. Then there will be in Matthew 25 the separating of the sheep and the goats. The sheep are the believers who survive till the end of the tribulation. Mortals, born again Christians, but still in a mortal body, alive. The sheep will be allowed to enter into the millennial kingdom to repopulate the earth. Going back to Genesis where God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So this is Eden part two. The goats, the wicked, the unbelieving, those who still have rejected, after all that, can you imagine you survived seven years of tribulation on this planet and you still won't bow the knee to Jesus Christ? They will be cast out. The goats, they're called the goats. Not the greatest of all time like Tom Brady. Long before goat 
meant the greatest of all time. It meant goat. <laughs> Which was not necessarily a complimentary name tag. So, during the millennium, the remaining believing population who have not been transformed like we have will repopulate the earth, but they will still be living in mortal bodies. Lifespan will be greatly extended, again, like the book of Genesis. But in those mortal human bodies, they will not be able to look on the face of God and live. No man can look on the face of God and live. And so Jesus will be here with us, God incarnate, God in the flesh, God in human form. But God the Father is going to wait to make his appearance until we enter eternity in the new Jerusalem. Are you tracking with me? Do you follow me? That's why we won't get to see God the Father until we enter into our eternal dwelling place in the new Jerusalem because the mortals would be incinerated. Did you ever see Indiana Jones, uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Remember what happened to those guys when they opened up the ark? They melted, right? That's what it would be like. That's what it would be like. John 1.18. No one has seen God at any time, so if they claim they have, they're a liar or a deceiver. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. But that was the beauty of Jesus Christ coming to earth. Yes, his mission, as we discussed during communion, was to die on the cross for the sins of the world. But he's also called the mediator, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Prior to the coming of Christ, it could be argued, and by the way, Old Testament believers were not personally infilled with the Holy Spirit like New Testament believers, okay? So their relationship with God was very corporate, that's why they had the big extravagant temple worship orchestra, all the instruments and so forth, and the priests, because the individual believer under the old covenant did not have that same kind of intimate relationship with God that you and I have through Jesus Christ. So all through the millennium, there will be mortals alive upon the earth. If God were to show his face, they would be instantly vaporized but now in the new jerusalem everyone is immortal so we will finally see our daddy if you will abba father face to face all right his name shall be on their foreheads in stark contrast to the mark of the beast now which the scriptures tell us will be on the right hand of the forehead it could be bill gates digital qr code it could be a microchip it could be both in stark contrast to the mark of the beast which will mean eternal torment for the one who bears that mark, we're told in, Re in Revelation chapter 13, basically that anyone who takes the mark of the beast is irredeemable, cannot be saved. You're beyond hope at that point. And that could have something to do with genetic modification when you're no longer created in God's image. But here we have God's mark of authenticity, if you will. His name shall be on their foreheads. It's his good housekeeping seal of approval, if you will. Genuine, certified, bona fide child of God it comes with a lifetime in this place, eternal guarantee. It's an unlimited warranty to the original owner. You know how all this stuff goes, right? So God is going to put his name on our foreheads. Revelation 3.12, he who overcomes, 
There it is again, the overcomer, the one who endures. You overcome the world, the flesh, the devil. You overcome the temptations, not only to indulge in the, uh, the uh, carnal pleasures of this world, but you overcome the desire to give way to false doctrine, false teaching, easy believism. Well, you guys, you guys are legalistic over there, man. You're, you know, what a burden to bear. We're free over here. We have beer Bible studies. You know, our young people are allowed to live together out of wedlock because they love each other. You guys are just bearing a burden you don't have to bear. We have to overcome these things. We have to overcome those who want to reinvent Christianity, right? And ride bicycles through mazes. I'm serious. Some of these gatherings they've had for the emergent church and so forth, one of their things that they do is they have a big maze and you ride a bike through. I don't know what that's got to do with anything. And they have what they call, what is it, um, saturating worship or something like that, where you sing the same line over and over again like a chant or a mantra. I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff out, out there, folks. And an overcomer is the one who resists all of that. Even if they call you old-fashioned, they call you out of step, out of touch. There were people even within our own Calvary Chapel movement that toward the end of Pastor Chuck's life before he died from lung cancer, but he never smoked in his whole life. Pastor Chuck is out of step. He's out of touch. He's behind the times. Well, I'd like to have any of these other guys exhibit the fruit from their ministry that Pastor Chuck did. I'll tell you that. He who overcomes... Again, overcomes the temptation to just kind of kick back. And I'm not trying to be legalistic. But I know from my own experience, I wanted to share with this with you earlier when I was talking about what I meant when I said we don't go to church to get saved. Okay, so from about, I, would, I grew up in church, maybe not every week because my parents weren't going. They would take me and drop me off or one of my aunts or uncles would take me. But I went plenty enough to learn the Bible in Sunday school which they actually taught the Bible in Sunday school like we do here. Okay, they didn't just have giant hot fudge Sundays and play games and all that stuff, okay? We actually learned the Bible, the great stories of the Bible. And I loved going to church because when I went to Sunday school and children's church, it was geared towards my age group, my level. And that's what we try to do here with our kids. Some people say, why, why don't you let the kids come into church with the adults? They need to have a family worship experience. But the problem is, and I, again, after Sunday school and kids' church, we would then be ushered over into the adult service where we would then per proceed to squirm and wiggle and squiggle and crawl around. We were bored. We didn't know what was going on. Where I came to faith in Christ was in Sunday school. Okay. If you want to have a family worship experience, do that at home. We want to reach kids at their level. But that was my experience, okay? And so up until like seventh grade, church was a part of my life. Jesus was a part of my life. But then my father died. The last promise he made my mother make to him, keep our kids in church. Well, the problem was we moved we were in California when my father died, and he was at the uh, military hospital in Long Beach. 
we moved back to Arizona, we moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. My home church was on the west side of Phoenix. It was about a 45-minute drive, and my mom didn't really want to make that drive. So she didn't keep her promise. And so from seventh grade until junior year of high school, I wasn't in church. And that's when I got involved in all the things that guitar playing, long-haired teenagers get involved in. I never stopped believing. And I prayed too. But I wasn't living a godly life in Christ Jesus because I had no fellowship, no teaching, no encouragement. And then, interestingly enough, five years later, my mother died. And I'm not going to say God took her because she broke her promise to keep us kids in church. I don't know, but it's an interesting thought, isn't it? I once told my kids, God had to take my parents to bring me to him. I hope he doesn't have to do that for you. Because that means I die. (laughs) So get right with God, will you? So then I go to live with my aunt and uncle in Southern California who are believers. They're at the First Baptist Church there in El Segundo, California. I hadn't been to church in a number of years. And when I got there, my uncle laid down the law. He says, I just want you to know we go to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night, and you will be going too. And what are you going to do? You know, you're an orphan. You're... 450 miles away from your previous home and your uncle tells you you're going to church. Now see, I hear some parents say, well, I don't make my kids go to church. I want them to go because they want to go. Fine, after they're 18, they can do whatever they want. But in my house, until they're 18, they go to church and I don't care whether they like it or not. And I'm glad my uncle did that for me. And it built into me this understanding. And by the way, he did let me get a motor, uh, it was an enduro, I guess, a motorcycle you can ride on the street or in the dirt. But the one rule was you don't go dirt bike riding on Sunday. You go Saturday or you don't go at all. And it ingrained that in me. I got involved in the youth group there. They were a great group of young people on fire for God. That was, again, the beginnings of the Jesus movement. And it hit every denomination. Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, Charismatic, Pentecostal. The Jesus movement hit every group. It was awesome. And that's laid the foundation for me in my life to know that that had to be a priority. I needed to be gathering with believers, being taught the Word of God, experiencing corporate worship. And I'm afraid there's so many believers today that just don't have that foundation. They don't have that understanding. They go to church if they feel like it. If they don't, they don't. No big deal. Oh, we're going to go here or there, do this or that. But I'm telling you, if you want to be an overcomer, you need that discipline in your life. Anything that you accomplish in this life, if you're going to be good at it, it takes discipline, does it not? What makes you think you can be an overcomer with no discipline? It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Anyway. There you have it. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. 
I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. It sounds as though there's going to be a new name from Jesus, a new name from the Father, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. So those, for those of you who have not yet gotten tattooed, but are just dying to do so, hold on to your hats, because God's going to tattoo you. And I'm looking forward to that. You're going to have all kinds of stuff written on you by God himself. It doesn't get any better than that. By the way, the ones you have now won't be there when you <laughs> once this life is over. So. And they can be very expensive, those tattoos. Revelation 14.1, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him, of course, that's Jesus, 144,000, the 144,000 Jewish witnesses that we learned about earlier on, having his father's name, Jesus' father's name, written on their foreheads. Again, we don't know if that'll be visible or invisible. Maybe visible only to God. They might be visible. The way to identify them to the people. But again, we see God marking his people. Verse 5, there shall be no more night there. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp or, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign, how long? Forever and ever. Which is a long time. Except there won't be any more time. Isn't that great? No more time. No more watching the clock. How much time do I have left? You know, and um, I don't know about you guys, but I don't like to be late for things. If I'm even approaching lateness, I get stressed out. I want to be on time, especially since I'm the pastor. <laughs> don't want to be late. No more time. I think God really wants us to know that there will never, ever be any darkness again. No night there. And that he will be our source of light for all eternity. Revelation 21, 23. Well, that was a couple of weeks ago. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon. The sun is great. However, one problem, people get skin cancer, right? Another problem, depending on where you live in the world, we're blessed. We get like, what, 285 days of sunshine here? You realize that's almost unprecedented? In this country especially. You go to the Midwest, the East, East Coast, the Deep South, they don't get that much sunshine. We get lots of sunshine here, and we love it, don't we? But it can cause skin cancer, sunburn, so forth. So there won't be any sun, any moon. For the, the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Obviously, if there's no night, you don't need a moon. And if God is our light, we don't need a sun. So I think he really, really wants us to know that we're going to reign with him forever, too. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. They sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So this is the millennium. This is the beginning of our eternal reign, but it starts during the millennial kingdom, Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. That's the good guy resurrection. And we're only good guys because the good guy lives in us. Okay? We're not good guys because we're good guys because we're not. 
But if you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's the good guy and he will come and live inside of you. So the millennium is just the beginning of our eternal reign with Christ. And I think I'm going to have to stop. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this special time of prayer this morning, Lord. We know that the prayers of the saints are a sweet sound in your ears, a sweet fragrance in your nostrils. And Lord, we thank you for the promise in your word that tells us whenever two or more agree is touching anything that you would hear that prayer. So Lord, we look forward to many wonderful reports from the prayers that have been prayed here this morning. Lord, we lift up others that may be watching at home on the internet, those that couldn't be here today because maybe they weren't feeling well or something else was going on. We ask you to pour out your healing upon those near and dear to us, those that perhaps are in our thoughts, on our minds even now. Lord, all the things that we pray for every week, the health, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, Lord, for financial provision, for healing of relationships, Lord, we thank you that you're a God of healing and reconciliation and restoration, a God of new beginnings and fresh starts. So we just lift all these things up to you now, and we thank you for the good results that are on the way because you're a good God. We thank you for this time together this morning. We ask you to receive now our final offering of praise in Jesus' name. Amen.